Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Have a great episode for you today, one that I'm so happy to bring to you, one that I've been promising to bring for a few months now. I have an expert here on attachment styles. You've heard me talk about attachment styles many, many times on the show when I've coached someone about how their attachment style from childhood is impacting how they're interacting in their relationships. Perhaps you've heard me talk about anxious attachment or avoidant attachment. Well, those are only two of the attachment types that we talk about in in this awesome interview with Ellen Bader. Let me tell you a little bit more about Ellen. She's a licensed psychotherapist since 2003. She has a strong background in both yoga and meditation and her graduate training in transpersonal psychology. Since getting married 12 years ago and becoming a mother to two, Ellen transitioned from working primarily with women to focusing on couples. She's trained in something called PACT, a therapeutic modality for couples founded by Stan Taken. Ellen synthesizes attachment theory, neuroscience, and effect regulation models to support couples in creating and enduring a nourishing relationship through secure functioning. In addition to maintaining a private practice, Ellen is on the faculty for the Relationship School, a business founded by her husband, Jason Gaddis, that provides in-depth education for anyone who wants to learn as well as training for relationship coaches. And if you scroll back, a couple of years ago, you can hear my interview with Jason Gaddis. Or you can Google it, J-A-Y-S-O-N-G-A-D-D-I-S. It was a great conversation on relationships and how to really navigate them in a healthy way. And like I said, in this episode, we really break down the attachment styles, anxious, avoidant, disorganized, and secure. You're going to get so much value out of this episode. I encourage you to listen to this episode maybe a couple times, ponder, reflect, ask yourself which attachment style you identify with most, how it's showing up in your relationships and how you can heal it because we all are really going for having secure attachments in our lives, especially in our primary relationships. Also want to give everybody a heads up, especially the women, that we have six, no joke, six spots left to my spring retreat. I told you this sells out fast. I'm recording this January 30th and we only have six spots left. It's March 6th through 8th. I highly encourage you to go to christinehasser.com slash spring retreat or email jill at christinehasser.com if you want to get in this year. It's probably the last year I'm doing it in this format. So you're going to want to (laughs) come. Take advantage of it while I'm still the primary facilitator teaching it. Again, christinehasler.com slash spring dash retreat. It's the most powerful work I do with people. Don't miss it. And now on to my interview with Ellen. Ellen, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Christine. It's fun to be here. Well, I interviewed your husband, Jason, about, gosh, two or three years ago. Okay. Yeah, time goes by fast. As I remember, I was living in my place on the ocean in Encinitas. So it was at least two Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And we had a great conversation about relationships. And I wanted to bring you on because Jill went to the relationship school that you and Jason, I think it's mostly his thing though, that you guys host out in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And she told me about you and your expertise as a psychotherapist, especially in attachment styles, Mm -hmm. which is something that comes up so much on the show. And I'm really, really excited to share your knowledge about what attachment styles are, how they're formed, how Mm -hmm. they impact us and how that carries over into adult relationships. So thank you again for being here. Great. Yeah, my pleasure. Before we dive in, I always love to know why therapists become therapists. Mm, (laughs) Totally. Would you you mind sharing what got you into this field? Yeah. You know, I was one of those kids who knew really young that I wanted to be a therapist. I was 14 years old and a counselor came into my freshman year health class and he started talking about uh, his role at the school, at the high school. And what he does and he helps kids with their feelings and their struggles with their friends or their families. And I had just never heard of it before. And I, I knew right then I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to learn everything I can about people, about who I am, why I feel the things I feel, how to navigate conflicts. And so I think what that stemmed from was I was one of five kids and totally took on the role of 
trying to be the peacemaker in the family and trying to help my parents parent. They were Mm. loving, they loved us, but they were totally overwhelmed at times. And what parent isn't? Yeah. I mean, now I get it. I'm like five (laughs) kids. I mean, it was a tall order. And so I think I was, I was, you know, intuitive and emotional and, and I think just not, not feeling as secure and supported as I wanted to feel. And I was just always searching for what my place was and how to, how to help everyone get along better. And, and so he came into this class and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. And I, at the time, you know, it was before the internet. And so I, I didn't really know where to go to learn anything. Everyone said, oh, you can take psychology in college. Mm. And so I, I read a few books here and there, but I really didn't get to study psychology until I was 18, which is really different now. If a 14 year old wants to learn more about psychology, you know, they have like your podcast and so many other ways, but, but I did, I majored in psychology. I mean, I just went, I've just never wavered from wanting to learn as much as I can about just the human condition and how to be a more full human myself. And it's just a fascinating, inspiring, challenging life path that I I can't imagine not being interested in human beings and how we work and yeah. How to, how to have a better life. And how would you describe, I always like to ask therapists this, the difference between psychotherapy and coaching? Mm, that's a good question for me. I've, Jason and I talk about that a lot because <laughs> it's such, there's such overlap. And I think that, you know, there's sort of the conventional definition, which I think is that psychotherapy spends more time in the past than a coach would. A coach is more goal-oriented, you know, this is maybe the more, just the status quo view. But I think that there's a lot of coaches who do deep work and know that if someone has a block in their current life, chances are it has roots in their past and you you have to get at those somehow. And I think there's psychotherapists who really know that, you know, if we aren't goal oriented around where we're going with this time we're spending together and the the work we're doing, then, then we're just sort of in an eddy kind of feeling feelings and uh, it's not, we're not moving, we're not developing. And so I feel like it probably depends more on the therapist and the coach about how they do it differently. But um, I, I think there's, there's a lot of overlap there that probably depends yeah. more on the practitioner. Yeah. I, I thank you for explaining it that way. Cause I would definitely say I'm a hybrid of yeah. bringing in a lot of the therapeutic psychology tools. And that's one of the reasons I went back and studied psychology is because I, as a coach, I just knew I couldn't help people with their goals unless I helped them clean up their past because our past creates our future until we heal it and deal with it and really free ourselves from it. And it's this balance of, of looking to the future and having a positive vision for our future and the goals, Mm -hmm. but also being honest with ourselves about what we're still consciously or unconsciously carrying around. Absolutely. I, I just, I don't think you can have one without the other. They, they, we need, we need to look forward and look back to really have a, a full experience in the present. And so, Absolutely. yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate coaches who get that and, and find a way to, to do that work, even if you're not in person or, you know, maybe you wouldn't, there's probably certain clients you would, that wouldn't, that you just wouldn't choose to work with because maybe they're not ready for the kind exactly. of work you want to do. But that, that's true for me too. There's some clients that I feel like, gosh, you're not ready for the kind of work I love to do, but I know someone who would be good for where you're at. So again, it's, I think it's very much dependent on the practitioner these days. Yeah. Different teachers and different guides for different parts yeah. of our life. Yeah. Completely. Well, let's dive into attachment styles because I know I'm going to have a lot of questions about this okay. one. I hate to ask you such a general question, but I don't know where else to start. Mm-hmm. Could you define what attachment styles are? Sure. I will try that. So they're basically a way of describing how we experience our deepest relationships. So we all have a, we all have an attachment style. We all find a way to attach in some form to our primary caregiver, whoever that is. And so, you know, there's this inborn system in us, our attachment system that is really part of our survival system. Mm. They're realizing now. And 
Uh, it's not a luxury. It's, it's a real imperative to our survival to feel attached to a caregiver because we need such intensive care for so long as, as humans. And so attachment styles are really a way of describing the different ways that we have established that primary relationship and the way we've adapted to the, the relationship that we are in with our primary caregiver, because each caregiver is different, has different capacities for relationship. And so the child has a way of adapting to that so that they can feel as close as possible given the caregiver's uh, availability. I love that you said a need for survival. I was going to say survival yeah. skill, but it's yeah. <laughs> wrong words. It's, yeah. It makes yeah. so much sense because we, as human beings, we, that, that need for connection is, is massive. And you see that in babies who are abandoned and the, the, the right. developmental difficulties they have, not, not just mentally, but physically. Absolutely. It's, it's really as important as food. It's, you know, in certain studies they've done, they've, they've really been able to identify that that sense of comfort with another, with a, with a loving, warm, even just a warm body is, is primary to our survival and development. So basically it's when you are a child starting from infants, infancy, mm-hmm. you know, you're not alone in the world. You know, that someone is there providing some kind of comfort and consistency. Yes. It's about really establishing that sense of connection to that person in, in whatever way the, the child can. And in what years is it most important and when does it really lock in or is it throughout our entire childhood? Well, it, it, this is a both and answer. It's, mm-hmm. it's most important. Well, our attachment styles can, are usually pretty clear by the time we're 18 months. So it happens during a period of time where we're, we just have implicit, just this body-based memory system. So it's a really interesting time of development where we're, we're very perceptive, we're very engaged in the world, but we don't have explicit memories of that time of our life, right? So that's when the attachment is developing by, by 18 months. And it is uh, flexible, malleable. You can develop it. It can shift and change over time through impactful, important relationship experiences. So let's say someone develops an insecure attachment. We can get into what that means in a little bit. From childhood, they can earn security later on by doing their personal work. You can become someone who is securely attached and can securely attach to other adults by doing your work. And so, Mm. and also I think there's certain, it seems like there's certain life events, certain you know, traumas and different stresses that if, if there's enough of them at certain developmental periods with, without enough support, that can take someone who had a secure attachment and really rattle that and, and create more insecurity. They had a really huge loss of someone they loved at a really important developmental time or in a tragic way, you know, that can, that can affect us. So there's ways in which it's sort of stable and consistent over time, but it's also something we can develop and and is malleable too. So let's say you were really loved and both parents were really there. And then at 12, they got a divorce and one parent wasn't there as much or one parent got sick or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you may be, you may form a more insecure attachment. That's, I think that's possible. It's mm-hmm. again, this gets, this is where it gets so hard to predict what will happen because we're all so different. We have such different you know, it depends so much on what kind of support is available at that time. Mm. Um, if that, let's say that child, yeah, really has a rupture with the parent um, at a pivotal age too, depending on the kind of support they get, they, that might not impact their sense of their, their attachment style. It, it would definitely have an impact on them and their life and how they view things, but it may not necessarily change their attachment style, but, but you, but you're starting to speak to like, you know, there could be certain kinds of stressors that stress without enough kind of support and holding and care could definitely rattle that. Mm. So let's go through the different types of attachment styles. So the first they're secure. Yes. 
Do you want me to describe that? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's interesting when I do this because I think, gosh, it's, I usually describe it between a parent and child because that's where it forms, but there's also securely attached adults, right? Secure, Mm -hmm. secure partnerships. So, and and what's funny is they're not that different. Um, the, The difference is that with a parent child, the parent is providing the sense of security for the child, but with adults, it's mutual. They're both providing mm. it for each other. Mm. Mm. That's, yeah, and I think that's key. I think it'd be great yeah. to talk about both what it looks yeah. like in parent-child and then what it looks like yeah. in adult relationships as well. Yeah. So a securely attached child has an experience with their caregiver where they feel that their 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 caregiver is reliable, consistent, sensitive to their feelings and needs, is able to really be curious and interested in who the child is and how they think. Um, to let the child be different than the parent. Uh, there's a lot of emotional intelligence coming from that adult where they can help a child walk through their own feelings and their own, you know, upsets and moments of despair, whether it's just, you know, a one-year-old not being able to climb something it wants to climb. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the way all that's handled and the way the the child is cared for, their experience of that is what would create security. So it's a, it's a child who feels like I can, I can explore the world. I can come back to you and you'll be there for me. And you're not going to be sometimes there and sometimes not, you know, I can, I can really count on that. You're, when I come to you, you respond to me and you reciprocate my reaches for connection, you know, most of the time, the vast majority of the time. And that starts to create a sense that this child can go out and explore in the world. And, and it's sort of what creates a sense of what I think of as like genuine independence. You know, a lot of times we want to, I think, I think at least in my parents' generation, there was this idea that you don't want to over care for a baby because then they'll be too dependent on you. And <laughs> really that's the time in life when you want, you really want to support that dependence because that will ultimately engender a genuine sense of independence. They've, they've taken in the support, that child's taken in the support and care and love from that parent and feels like, yeah, I'm really, I can go out in the world and, and if I need to, I can come back. You know, I can express myself and I don't have to contort who I am to get connection. Mm. And most children naturally in a healthy situation, because I'm thinking of Erickson's developmental stages, yes. they, they naturally will individuate yes. and start having more autonomy and more freedom and less neediness and less reliance on their parents when given that healthy attachment in the beginning. Yes? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen it in our own family and it's just, that's just what the research shows is that those children are there you know, you can be a shy child. You could, you could have different temperament, different temperaments, but still feel that sense of, yeah, I can be on my own and be okay because I know that I know that that's foundational support is there. And I can, when I really need it, I can, I can have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and they don't have to cling to yeah. it and they don't have to pretend they don't need it. And do parents have to be perfect to have oh, a securely attached child? Because I think I a lot of times parents hear this and go, oh my God, God. I just my kid out. Right. Am I doing this? You know, of course not. Like it's, it's, it is hard to talk about this because I know that parents can go there and we can start thinking about all the moments when it's like, shit, I didn't, I didn't get it that time. Or God, I wish I hadn't said that this morning. Or, you know, that's, that is all par for the course. We are not supposed to be perfect. We don't want our children I mean, our children aren't going to be perfect humans. And so they don't need a perfect human to model after, right? That would, that would set them up for a lot of problems, actually. Mm-hmm. What we can do as parents, and this is what's so awesome about the attachment information is as you learn this, you learn that what's, what, really, what really cultivates secure attachment is repair. Mm. And so it's that, it's like, okay, we can get we can, everything can be going well. We're feeling good. We feel in connection. There's a flow. And then something happens and someone gets upset and there's disconnection and, you know, discord in our relationship. And, but, but because, but if there's repair, if like there's genuine repair, if someone, if the parent can come back and go, gosh, I was, 
wow, I got really mad this morning. And I said something to you that I know hurt your feelings. And, um, I really wish I hadn't done that. I'm sorry. And really doesn't do that every day. Right. (laughs) doesn't have like an apology every day, but really repairs it. And, and they move forward together. That's, that's what creates security. It's, it's Mm. so cool because they're, they're, they keep refining sort of what is it, what is it, you know? And it's that, that feeling that, that sense of repair is really the strength is where the strength is built. Well, it's interesting. You said that because in the, um, episode that Steph and I did together about fighting well, we shared what we learned from John Gottman that it's a healthy marriage or healthy relationship. The predictor isn't so much how often you fight. It's more how quickly you repair. So I imagine that the same thing is true in secure attachment in adult relationships. It's It's yeah, you can have your fights, but (laughs) you repair quickly. It's the same. It really Mm -hmm. is. And that's, that's, what's cool is that they're seeing how so much of this research that was done on, you know, usually mothers and their infants, but caregivers and their infants actually really applies to adults that we, we continue to need a lot of the same, the same kind of experiences as adults with our, with our primary attachment figure, who usually is our partner as an adult. And we, we need to feel that, yeah, that our distress is going to be quickly attended to. Yeah. You know, and that we aren't gonna have to suffer too long or have to grovel to get the connection back, you know, that, that it's going to be fair and it's going to be quick and as, as soon as possible. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's secure, basically Mm -hmm. someone there loving us consistency. If there is any kind of break or argument or the parent gets upset or whatever, Mm -hmm. there's the repair so that we really to me, when I think of secure attachment, it's like we know where we stand with someone and yeah. we, can, we can count on them for, for love and reassurance and we don't expect them to be perfect. No one's, right. no one's you know, we're all human. Yeah. But we, we have a feeling of like our nervous system can relax. Yes. It's so much about the nervous system, I think too. You know, yeah. that's such a huge part of being able to feel that sense of, letting down in each other's presence and not having to be on guard or, you know, withdrawn you know, mm. to be, or hypervigilant, you know, in our own home. Well, and that's a good segue to the next yes. Style, yes. <laughs> which isn't so great for the nervous system. No. So how about we talk about anxious next? Yes. Okay. So if I think of it with as a child, so that's a child who parent is sometimes very capable of these emotional repair moments and these, these attuned moments of connection, mm-hmm. but then also at other times is totally not. So there's a sense of un- unpredictability or inconsistency. It's like, sometimes I can go to my parent and be soothed and comforted and connected with, and other times they want, they're just shoving me away and want nothing to do with me. And I don't know, I don't know what to do. And so there, that's a, child who had just an, that inconsistent experience around their, around being soothed. And, or sometimes this, that parent also is just sort of kind of overly involved in the child's experience and feelings, like just kind of too close. The child doesn't get to have enough room to explore and have their own experience. And so that's what starts to create this, why it's called anxious ambivalent. There's a sense of I love being close. It feels so good, but I'm ready for the shoe to drop. Mm. Because like, and at some point you're going to get upset and I'm not sure what's going to bother you, but something is. And then this, this good feeling is going to be gone. And then I'll be left trying to figure out how to get it back. Mm. So that's, that's sort of what the child's experience is. And then can you give yes. an example of that? You could just make it up. Yeah. What would that, what would that look like yeah. in a child's life? Yeah. So picture a mother who has a little boy that's, she really enjoys him and he's really funny and they play together well. And she really kind of gets him in some ways. And is he's sort of the person, let's say that she, the mom is just sort of, the child feels really emotionally connected to her, just like safe with her, good with her, likes to be close to her. But then sometimes she gets mad or hurt, or she has a fight with her husband or something happens where she 
is angry Mm -hmm. and is like, and just shuts down Mm. emotionally or is really kind of vicious with the anger, like either just with words or energy, her face, like just shifts from, wow, this loving, safe, comforting person to someone really mad or really Mm. like giving me no sign. Like kind of the worst thing to do is to just go totally flat and withdrawn and not respond to, to a child. That's really stressful. And then the child is left trying to like, wait, let me, let me try and make you laugh again, mom. Let me do that thing that you thought was so cute before. How about this? How about that? Like the child starts trying to kind of get the connection back and, but the mom's not available, not available, not available for, for too long, too much of the time. So so we're talking about the pattern like that, that would be like consistent over time. We're like, this hap- This is the pattern where it's very off and on. Mm. She's, she's tired today and doesn't want to, or she's depressed today, but other days she's not, you know, like some, sometimes kids who've had parents who've struggled with mental illness, you know, the parent loves their child dearly, but just is, is compromised in ways that make the emotional, that they're just not able to be emotionally consistent most right. of the time. Right. Right. So it's that either emotional inconsistency or just straight out not really being there or being violent or is it? Well, I think, I think when you start to go into violence, you start opening up another attachment style, which is called um, disorganized. Ah, okay. That, that is when a parent is there, you know, the parent is the source of comfort for any child. Right. But then with disorganized, the parent is also the source of terror. Mm. And so the mm. child is left in a bind where they're like, you're the person I need to, I have no one else to go to, but you're terrifying to me. Mm. And that's, that's a really, just really, it, it's a, there's no good way out of that for a child. So they're, they start to be, um, their behavior starts to get really dysregulated because they have, they need comfort, but they can't, they also feel terrified to go to the, this person who they're terrified of. So that's, that's a very, that's more, you know, in cases of, you know, ongoing trauma where, where you see that and that that's where that would show up. So that's a more extreme situation. So disorganized isn't one that's talked about a lot. I think most right. people know anxious, avoidant, insecure. Yes. Yes. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what disorganized attachment means. Yeah. So it's, it's basically a way to try to describe this pattern of where the child's attachment behaviors, which should have some kind of pattern to them. Okay. So back up a little bit, a securely attached child, they're predictable in how they're going to seek out connection or when they're going to want autonomy, when they're going to come in for comfort, there's, there's predictability, certain feelings are going to make them reach for their parents or certain experiences are going to have them feel like they can explore further. Same thing with avoidant or anxious. We haven't talked about avoidant yet, but Mm -hmm. there's a predictability to those insecure patterns of attachment. There's pattern, there's a pattern there. The parent child relationship functions in a certain way that both that the child can predict. Now they've, They've adapted. Disorganized is difficult because there is, there's no way for the child to adapt. The behavior from the parent is so inconsistent and so terrifying at times that the child can't form a consistent way of being in relationship. So they're, they're sort of fraught with needs for comfort, but like rage and fear at the same time. Mm. And so their, their behavior patterns is where the word disorganized came from are very disorganized. They don't make sense. You'll see them, you'll see that child go to hug their parent, but then hit them at the sort of all in the same moment or, or turn around to run away, but then turn around and run back. And it's just, it's very, you, you would feel it in your gut. If you watched it, you'd be like, Oh, something's wrong. Something's really Mm -hmm. wrong right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more than just being inconsistent. It's, it's more than just being yeah. consistent. It's, it's yeah. being terrifying and yeah. scary. Yeah. Really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah, I know. Oh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to think about. I know. About. I know. I just, my heart still breaks, even though I've heard oh, for 15 years, so many, so many things, even more than that. And I'm sure you too. And right, right. What I always come back to is the resilience of the human spirit, Me too. mind, body, and spirit. 
is right. amazing. And it's amazing. This is where spiritual psychology helps me a lot because from the perspective of we pick our parents to learn what we need to learn, it's like, all right, even though this was not so fun to go through on the human level, on the soul level, there's a reason for it. And I can, I can change it, which, which we'll get to yes. because I know after we go through talking about how they show up, we're going to talk about how to, how to heal out of any anxious, disorganized or avoidant and into more secure. Yeah. Um, But I'd love to go back and look at what anxious and then disorganized, how that shows up in dating and relationship. Yes. So anxious, someone who's has an anxious attachment style will be, you know, it's interesting. I think about my, just my own relationship patterns when I think of this and just, and then of course, so many of my clients and couples, but typically an anxious the attached person will be more the emotional one, maybe more the pursuer, the one who's more the advocate for connection and talking. And I want to know where you are and what's happening and mm-hmm. how you're feeling. And so they, you know, in, in one way, they're such an asset to a relationship because they really, they really champion the relationship. They know mm-hmm. that they have a feeling that, you know, we need to stay in connection. It's important. We'll do better. It, it's good for us to communicate more, not less. It's good to have someone like that in a relationship mm-hmm. because they they can keep reorienting everyone to it. And, and they're often the person that might bring the couple to therapy too, because they're like, mm. something's, I don't like how something is here. I And their partner might be like, I think everything's fine. I'm not having a problem. Mm-hmm. But they're the person that really is like, actually, no, there's a problem. <laughs> and, no. they, and there's usually something true to that. And, so, and it can also be yeah. very irrational though, too, can it? Yes. With anxious attachment, like you can be yes. madly jealous or have all these, you know, need to hear from the person every five minutes. And absolutely. Yeah. It can yeah. sort of get, if, if they get, you know, triggered and dysregulated, they will, they're the one who can't calm down until their partner helps them calm down. And that mm. can be, that can be really burdensome for that partner. It can be it can feel like a major obligation. Like, and those are, their partners are often saying something like, God, I just wish you could just be okay without me for a little while. Or like, can't you just take a little, can I have a little more space? You know, so they can start to sort of um, smother a partner and a relationship because of their anxiety about it going away. Mm. Absolutely. And can you explain what getting dysregulated means? Yeah. So it can mean different things things for different people, but it's basically just your nervous system being out of whack in some way. So when we're regulated, it means all our organs are functioning well, our digestion's doing what it needs to do, our reproductive system's doing what it needs to do, our cardiovascular system, we've gotten enough rest, we're fed, you know, it's like everything's, all the lights are green kind of in our body. And dysregulation is when either one of those systems or more start to go haywire or be overly stressed. So, you know, just going without enough sleep for a while can start to have someone get under-resourced mm-hmm. or physiologically or emotional stress or work stress. So different kinds of stress can start to compromise just our basic physiology. And then that can start to throw off just how our mental and emotional state. So that's sort of what I mean by dysregulated. And some mm-hmm. people feel like, oh, some people get really anxious. Some people get really withdrawn and sort of depressed or, you know, so there's different ways, different places people go to just based on their different bodies, but it's something along those lines. And so when you get dysregulated, you tend to need reassurance from that partner in order to calm down. You don't really have it in you to be able to calm yourself down. Right. And, and I like how you said that, like, you don't really have it in you because it's true. It's like, they don't really have it in them. And so often their partners like wanting them to expecting them to thinking they should. And it's like, you know, that that's a growing edge for that person. And it's always good to keep developing our self-regulation skills, but that's not their strength. And so sometimes those partners have to learn what they're working on is a, a partner for an anxious anxiously attached person is learning, okay, how do I attend to you enough so that you can calm down? And then I, then I can get the space I need Yeah, (laughs) is one of the things it's like, you can't just push them. They're not just going to turn into someone else. You you could do something that would help them get there. And then eventually over time, if they feel secure with you, then yeah, this, this could, that's a skill that they can absolutely develop is that self-regulation capacity. 
So anxious looks like, just to sum it up, yeah, feeling unsure, uncertain, needing a lot of reassurance. Also, where it's helpful is if something's off in the relationship, the, the person with the anxious attachment is usually the one to get the first ding, ding, ding. Something, yeah. Something's off here. Mm-hmm. But kind of on the unhealthy spectrum, it's that clingy, meaty, jealous, yes. constantly needing that person to make them okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how does an anxious person, what is their therapeutic journey in terms of being able to transition to having more secure style attachment? Well, you know, there's a couple ways. So one way is in relationship. I mean, that's, to me, that's the best way is if, if you are in a relationship, you can work on having your relationship be where you're learning how to do that. And, and so the more secure you can make your relationship, then the more capacity for self-regulation that person's going to have. So there's something that, you know, partners can, there's things partners can work on to develop that for each other and with each other. But if you're not in a relationship, I think that, you know, I, I just, I'm just a fan for doing the personal like life reflection, you know, understanding one's history, where that came from and how to be able to care for and advocate for those, those younger parts, those that, that get activated and get really scared and, and how to sort of, how to be the caregiver that you would have liked to have had for those younger parts of you. Yeah. And like I say a million times in the show, it's about reparenting yourself. Yeah. Yourself the parenting. Oh, you know, I just remembered one other question I wanted Mm -hmm. to ask you. What about parents who are overly involved, either enmeshed or even codependent with their children? What attachment style does that tend to lean towards? That that tends to lean towards anxious. Uh Uh-huh. And why is that? Yeah. Because they're, when they're emotionally, when they're sort of projecting their emotional experience onto their child, when they're overshadowing their child's emotional experience with their own anxiety or their own feelings or their, their own childhood, which definitely happens, that really gets confusing for the child. And they, mm-hmm. there's something about that kind of overwhelm and confusion that leaves a child feeling like, yes, I want this care, but it's, can't it's, trust it's, it's it too much. It's, yeah. I can't trust it. It's not the right yeah. care. Am I going to lose and, myself in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people with anxious style, like they will cling and, and pursue, but they also will reach their limit where then they'll distance too. Yeah. And so that, that's sort of lying back there somewhere, you know, though they get to their, they, they can get pushed to their limit too, where eventually they shut down or withdraw and then they're not available for reconnection. So, mm. so I think sometimes that, that overly enmeshed parenting can contribute to that too, because a child has no other choice than to just kind of shut down and collapse. Yeah. Because they're overpowered. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then we haven't even gotten to avoiding yet. So in (laughs) disorganized, I imagine the path, the therapeutic path is really dealing with the trauma. Totally. First and foremost, before you even get to forming healthy relationships. Exactly. Exactly. Dealing with the trauma and then probably the same kind of path as healing any attachment style. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And getting into more security of oneself by, by learning how to, how to care for, tend to listen to those uh, younger parts that are, that are getting freaked out and learning how to attend to them from our, from our adult state of mind. Yes. And then avoidant. And avoidant. So that dynamic is more... I feel more... like all the men I dated in my 30s were avoidant. <laughs> totally. It's, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about I'm like this, it can feel so gendered, like a women, you know, can be typed the anxious ones and men are the avoidant ones. And I see that, but I also, I I swear in my practice, it's 50, 50. There's so many women on the avoidant side and men on the anxious side. So, but yeah, I would say that most women have, have at least dealt with someone who's, yeah, it's that emotionally unavailable guy. Right. And I've, I definitely had my experiences there too. And, and was the sort of more the pursuer but then, of course, as soon as my husband was like two feet in, I was sort of like, "Oh wait, I might need a little more space now." Like I was, yeah, yeah. it's funny how it can it can evolve. Yeah, yeah. find yeah. another part of yourself. I I'm can't like, oh, relate to that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you're committed? Wait, let me. Wait, just, wait, I need a little. Wait, I need a moment." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that and and like we're sort of in an avoidant culture where it's like, don't have too many feelings, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, move on. 
not, it's not a big deal. Hand, the more independent you are, the more we're going to just think you're awesome. The more you handle on your own, the more we're going to look up to you. Like it's, it's sort of those values that I think are going on in a, in a family where that's more of like an avoidant culture in the family. There's a parent child dynamic where the parent is just dismissive or disregarding of, of the child's needs, emotional and attachment needs. And so they might be there physically. They might really love their child. Again, so often this isn't about love. It's about, you know, how we attune and respond to each other's deeper needs and feelings, which is, you know, so much for adults too. Like two adults might really love each other, but they're really struggling to respond in a way that feels good to both people, to their inner worlds and their feelings. And so, so that child whose, whose attachment needs or emotional expression is being dismissed are not responded to, not reciprocated by the parent just starts to distance and they start to, it's like they almost start to convince themselves they don't need that kind of attention. They don't need that kind of care. They don't, they don't need praise. You know, it's those kids who are like, yeah, I don't, I don't need anyone to motivate me or praise me. I can take care of myself. And if I'm upset, I go to my room. I, they do their feelings by themselves. I just sort of learn that that's, that's what this family can handle. That's what this, these parents can handle. And that's how we do it. And, and there is a lot of reinforcement for that, I think, in our culture. And so it's usually, you know, by the time that person gets into an adult partnership, that's sort of where they'll start to have some problems because maybe all the people they work with or all their friends think, wow, you're so independent. You have it all together. You take such good care of yourself. But then their partner might start to see like, wait, you actually really, you know, shut down or you don't, I mean, you know, isn't getting enough information about their feelings or enough responsiveness or feels like their partner needs a lot of alone time to feel okay. And so that that's where it can start to create problems is, is just in that close inner, that close partnership. Like you're trying to get in, but you just can't but you sometimes. You just can't. You just can't. That person just, they just won't let you. They don't know how. They don't believe that it's going to be good for them or that that kind of vulnerability would serve. So that person sometimes, you know, I think of it as like an, someone with an avoidance style almost has a steeper learning curve about relationships in a way than someone with an anxious attachment style. Because with an anxious attachment style, there's some faith that like being connected is good. It's yeah, you want the love. Feel better. Yeah. <laughs> it's like your oxygen. Yes. Yeah. And the avoidant is sort of like, I don't know if that's better. Like, yeah. I kind of feel better alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very self protective. It kind is. Of- it is. So it can be harder to sort of, that person, it can be harder to reach that person. But when that, when that person wants to engage and really work on themselves, like they can do it. I mean, you know, it's, there's nothing in the way it's, I think you guys, you and Steph were saying this on your interview. I listened to just like how much willingness is such a huge factor when it comes to personal growth and relationship. It's like, if someone's willing to look at themselves and work on things, like really anything is possible. So true in our relationships, in our life. It's, yeah. just, it's just that willingness. It, yeah. Um, and then it, it was so helpful to give the example of the the mother who was sometimes there, but sometimes not with the yeah. little boy. Can you give an example for avoidant? Yeah, sure. I'll do a dad and uh, his daughter just to change it up. So like picture a little girl, she's five or six. She comes home from, you know, she gets off the bus, comes home from school, walks in the door and her dad's sitting there. He doesn't look up. Mm. to greet her. And so she puts her stuff away. She sets her things down and she walks over and she's hi daddy. And he's, he's still reading his paper or his book and hi, honey, how was your day? Not really looking at her. And she's like, Oh, it's fine. And then she just starts to go and get herself a snack. Like, like you can already start to get the feel for it's, this is a child who might just gradually be learning that if they have an emotional need, if they're excited, scared, you know, she could have been coming home. She just had a fight with a friend at school or she just got, uh, she just got a prize for her drawing, you know, but she wouldn't end up sharing that with her father because he doesn't, he's not showing any interest. He's not responding to her in the way that she would want to be reciprocated. And so if I draw that back even to a younger child, an infant, it's, you know, a parent who's just sort of maybe going through the motions, making sure their child has what they need to eat or, you know, gets to bed on time or like has their basic needs, but isn't 
isn't curious and interested in drawing out who that child is and what they think and feel about things and engaging with them is just sort mm. of managing them or going through the motions of mm. being with them. Like it's really someone who kind of doesn't realize what, you know, the emotional needs that the children and that really all people have in terms of feeling known and, and feeling seen and connected. So really in so many ways, it's an absent parent, like maybe physically there, but not meeting the emotional needs. And it's interesting because I think a lot of times people think if you grew up in a violent household, Mm -hmm. you tend to be more avoidant. But what I hear you saying is that violence tend to lead to more disorganized. Yes. It's the lack of anything. It's almost the apathy feeling. Totally. That creates the avoidance. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a more neglectful feeling. Neglectful. Yeah. 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 And so what's the healing path for avoidance? Hmm. Again, uh, relationship can be so healing uh, because it's going to draw out those sort of un developed parts. It's really like a, almost like a lack of development in a way. Like they didn't get the kind of emotional mirroring and responsiveness that would have helped them develop their empathy and their attunement capacities that would help them connect more deeply with people. And so, so relationship can be a, a great way to work on that. But the, again, they have to be willing to be like, I was working with this couple this week and, and the way we were talking about in our session was like, and it was a guy that was the avoidant And we were sort of, I was sort of saying to him, I'm like, are you willing to let her reorient you? You know, when you miss a cue from her, when you miss a signal that she was reaching out for you in some way with a smile or with a, with her words or with an excitement about something or her feelings, like when you miss it, are you willing to let her reorient you and say, Hey honey, I know you didn't, I know you're not trying to be an asshole, but you just totally dismiss what I was saying, you know? And he was like, yes, yes. Like as long as he wasn't Mm. being made to feel wrong or bad for not getting it, he was way more receptive to like, oh yeah, Mm. like reorient me, like help me. I I don't want to, because these this guy didn't want to, he doesn't want to not respond well to her. He wants her to feel that, you know, he loves her. He wants her to feel that. He wants his kids to feel his care and responsiveness, but he's really kind of clueless there because that wasn't how he grew up at all. Like no one paid attention to anybody. And that was sort of how you kept the status quo. So I Mm. think for, for those people, if they can be willing to be reoriented and if their partner can be supportive of, um, you know, can, can still support that person's sense of self, their individuality, like who they are, that they're not wrong for being kind of wired a little differently here. Um, that can feel really good. That can feel really good. And then of course, if they're not in a relationship, it is, they get so much out of doing their inner work because so often an avoidant just really has sort of airbrushed over their childhood. And they're like, everything was fine. Like nothing Mm -hmm. bad happened. I don't really have any memories, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of like that. And so if they can just say, you know, I want to, if they can do their own reflection and have some curiosity and interest in who they are and how they feel. They often don't really know how they feel. So if they do some work on that, that opens up all kinds of possibilities too. And I think, and this is as we transition into wrapping up, I think that that's a note I'd love to wrap up on is that there's no, like if you're anxious, it doesn't mean you should look for an avoidant. And if you're secure, it doesn't mean only look for only secure. It's like any- right any relationship is an opportunity for growth. And honestly, I've seen, I've seen eat all four of the attachment styles we discussed in myself. Like I, oh, I, I've yes. definitely seen them all in myself. I think Me I'm more too. lean. I, I, if I had to, you know, put my hand up for one, it would be anxious, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see how secure. And yeah. that's more that that's the one I spend the most time in because of the work that I've done and of the Completely. relationship that I'm in. But the other ones pop up. They, yeah. they, they do. And they do. I think it's important to know that like what you said, if you have willingness that you can heal it in yourself and you can heal it in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And to remember, I love what you're saying, you know, cause it's, there are, I think all those parts of us are in, I mean, I had, I noticed that in myself too. And my husband too, we all, that's like, we have all these sides and, and we are living in security most of the time because of, because of like years and years of really doing our own personal work and as a couple and, and that that's ongoing and we love that stuff. So it's, 
it's engaging and interesting for us and, and so rewarding, but it's, you know, attachment styles, they're not, it's not that there's, there's nothing, none of these attachment styles are like wrong or bad. They're these intelligent adaptations to families that we're just providing a certain kind of care. And, Mm. and then as we become adults, it's like so often, I'm sure you see this, like what our childhood strategies worked well at the time, you know, they helped us get what we needed in our family situations as best we could. But then as adults, that's the opportunity to, to grow and do more and find those other parts of ourselves and have more options and not just be in what we know how to do because so often we see so quickly how limited that is as an adult. That yeah. It's really time to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And relationships are a great trigger for that. It's like, oh, yes. Can't. <laughs> yes. You can't, can't avoid it. We can't, we can't avoid it. It just happens. That is so, so true. Yeah. Oh, well, Elle, this has been so helpful. Thank uh, you so much for breaking this down for us. How do people learn you. more about you and connect with your work? Uh, just through my website ellenbader.com, and also through the relationship school. That's where, um, yes, you're right. It's primarily Jason's like leading the charge on that. And I, I come in and do some teaching on attachment and co-regulation and just different parts of the nervous system and the things I kind of geek out on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's another beautiful thing about the nervous system. I have found that especially in reparenting myself and then in my relationship, as I'm slipping more into secure attachment. Yeah my nervous system is really showing me how it had been dysregulated for so long right? and how it's, it's needing to, to, it's wanting to regulate again. Totally. Um, but yeah, that's been, that's been a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. It's a roller coaster. And it's, it's, you see how much this, this stuff really impacts our health. Like we don't realize it until we start to get more secure, have more regulation. Like, Oh wow. That's, you know, we're, we're motivated. I think it motivates us to see what's when we start to see what's possible or how much yeah. more good in ourselves and in our relationships we can feel. Well, and it's amazing how in a secure relationship, all, everything can come up. It's like all the stuff yes. that your psyche didn't, yes. didn't want to deal with is like, oh, here you go. Here's all the stuff that you haven't been looking totally. at. Totally. It's, it's ongoing, but there's, but then there's, it's like, there's, it's, cause it has a place to get worked with well, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, thank you so, so much. And spell your last name for people because I yes. want to get it right. Oh, thank you. It's So it would be Ellen, E-L-L-E-N, and Bader is spelled B-O-E-D-E-R. Awesome. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you. You too, Christine. <laughs>